Today's show is brought to you by Drift Outfitters at 199 Queen Street East in downtown Toronto, Ontario. Drift Outfitters is packed full of fly fishing gear, tying materials, clothing, hats, bags, and more. Rob and the guys down at the shop have you covered for all your fly fishy needs. Whether you're taking a trip to northern Ontario or heading on a massive journey to the heart of Africa to fish tigerfish on the Zambezi River, Drift Outfitters has got you. Stop by the shop at 199 Queen Street East or visit them online at driftoutfitters.com to take advantage of their fantastic online store and free shipping on Canadian orders over 100 bucks. Hello and welcome to another episode of So Fly. It is, jeez, uh, what is it? It's like the end of February. Um, it's still snowy as heck out here. We're in Guelph today on location, actually. Um, uh, my name is Mitch. We've got Yelma. Hey, everyone. We've got Aldo. Hello. And we're recording a really special guest today. Like I said, out in uh, out in Guelph, we're here with um, currently the president of the Middle Grand Chapter of Trout Unlimited. Um, we're here with Larry Halleck. How's it going, Larry? Really good. Really good. Uh, really, really excited to be recording here at, at, your, at your house. It's a beautiful house. Mm-hmm. Out in Guelph. We just got stuck in a snowbank. Yeah, I'm surprised we got here on time. <laughs> yeah, me too. I'm surprised you found the snowbank. <laughs> it was a close one. It was a close one. We uh, we missed the, the turn off to your street, which beautiful house, by the way. It's like so bright. We're like, got the woods surrounding us. This is a nice setting yeah. for a podcast. But yeah. So Mitch pulled a U-turn. Yeah. And the snow was a lot deeper than, <laughs> than I thought. <laughs> but yes, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Oh, uh, it's a pleasure. Yeah, super excited to talk about um, all things fly fishing with you and also um, conservation and uh, biology because what's what's a little bit about your background for the people listening? Yeah, I have uh, I was a biologist uh, with the Ministry of Natural Resources and then later on a stewardship coordinator for 32 years. And I retired about oh, three years ago. And I decided I better keep busy. So um, I really immersed myself in, in some of the conservation causes I'm as you said, I'm president of the Trout Unlimited chapter, and uh, we've been doing a lot of great work in uh, the Grand River. So uh, that's a, that's the quick one. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, right. The Coles Notes version. The Coles Notes version. Yeah. So okay, well, why don't we just go right back to then? Let's start. Let's start with like your fly fishing past and how you got into fly fishing. How long have you been fly fishing for? Oh my God! Um, <laughs> since I was about twelve or thirteen, and I'm sixty-five now. So, uh, or I will be very soon. So it's been a long time. Um, it's really interesting how I got into fly fishing because I grew up in an area uh, south of here in farm country and really there wasn't, I didn't have any mentors or anything like that. And, uh, but I was a real reader. My parents called me the bookworm and I, I read, I, I went through the library and I found a fly fishing section and I started reading there. And then I, my parents uh, uh, got me uh, subscriptions to Field and Stream and Ontario, or uh, it was Outdoor Life. And those are American magazines, and a lot of them had a lot of fly fishing articles. So I really got into uh, fly fishing before any of my friends in high school or public school did. Yep. So that's what I was, that's how I got into it. The magazines, you know, there's just something about when you're, I remember being a kid too and reading all those U.S. publications, and it's just yeah. like the allure of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Eastern yeah. fly fishing. Yeah, that's Eastern what fly I, That's fishing. what I, oh, yeah. I read a lot of that. Yeah. Well, I go back a lot farther. They, they, those specialty fly fishing magazines weren't even around, like Fly Fisherman wasn't around yeah. or, right. or any of those. So you you had those fly fishing articles in Field and Stream and, mm. and some real um, personalities. There was a fellow by the name of Ted Trueblood, which is, you can't get more outdoorsy <laughs> than, <Yeah. laughs> than a name like that. That's and an uh, awesome name. 
And, uh, you know, they talked about, uh, you know, fishing for steelhead in Idaho and, and the Snake River and that kind of thing. Yeah. It was really romantic. And, uh, and, you know, the other thing about those American magazines is it kind of confused me because they talk about pickerel. Yeah. And pickerel are actually, the Americans call pickerel a member, they're a member of the Pike family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, I didn't really, every time somebody local in Ontario would say, oh, I'm going pickerel fishing, I thought, oh, they're going for these small pike. Yeah. I, I didn't know they were well, pickerel I, around. Because, I, I, again, I, I wasn't really into the Ontario fishing scene at that time when I was young. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't know about that. I kind of, that, my thing was trout. So yeah. that's what I did. Yeah. Do you remember the first, your first fish on a fly rod? Yeah, on a fly rod. Um, well, it wasn't too exciting because it was, uh, by that time I had been uh, fishing, uh, you know, before that, of course, I'd fished the worm in the small little streams where I grew up. And uh, then I finally picked up fly fishing around 14 and there was a local stock pond, a gravel pit pond, Waterford Lakes. And uh, so I caught a bunch of trout in the dry fly on, on that. But yep. uh, after that, I kind of graduated into stream fishing. So mm-hmm. there was a creek called Whiteman's Creek, which is the tributary of the yep. Grand. Right. And I used to ride my bike there and um, fish those, fish for browns there. And so that's how kind of how I really got into uh, fly fishing for trout. That's awesome. It's a pretty big pike in uh, Waterford Ponds too, eh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's kind of a cool place. A lot of bass and pike. Yeah. And uh, a lot of, and, and the area I grew up, um, bass and pike were, were big. I mean, Long Point Bay is not far from where I lived. And uh, uh, great bass fishing. Yeah. And, uh, but I, you know, I, I did a little bit of bass fishing, but I really, again, maybe because of just all the reading I did, I, I really gravitated towards trout. Yeah. And eventually steelhead. <laughs> yes. Eventually steelhead. Yeah. So, okay. Well, you, you're, you have a fisheries biology background. Yeah. That's yeah. what you did professionally. Yeah. And, uh, I, again, I got into that because I, I think just my love of fishing, yeah. I, I decided somewhere in high school that I wanted to be a, a, a fisheries biologist and, uh. I really uh, stuck to it because I, I was actually discouraged a lot by, you know, the guidance counselors and everything. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to get a job there. And it yeah. is, it was, and it, it's even worse now. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I just decided that, no, that's what I want to do. I'm, I'm kind of an introvert by nature. So my, my idea of being a biologist was I would go out in the woods all day by myself or the streams and never see another person. And that would be all, that would be okay with me. Yeah. And I would just collect data and come back to the office. And, Sounds awesome. And, and that would be great. Yeah. But I, I didn't kind of realize that, you know, through, due to Peter principle or whatever you want to call it, uh, eventually fisheries management is people management. It really is. So you've got to work with people. Right. So I kind of became from a, a an introvert, you kind of become a reluctant extrovert after a while because you got to give presentations, you got to run meetings, you got to you got to resolve conflicts. You've got to work with people mm-hmm. and um, you, you kind of fake it till you make it. I, I really didn't uh, at first wasn't good at it and um, didn't enjoy it. But you know, eventually you just become, you enjoy working with people and making some positive things happen. And it, it, that's kind of way, the way it evolves. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I remember, yeah. I mean, it's cool that, you know, your fly fishing life and your fishing and outdoors life was able to influence your career path. Yeah, and it's it's kind of interesting because I have a hard time separating my work right. and my passion. And, and um, I know when I finally did retire, I immersed myself in the conservation stuff. And my my wife said to me, well, you're not getting paid for any of this stuff. You're doing the same stuff you did before you were 
uh, while you were working and you're not getting paid for this. And I said, well, I couldn't believe I was getting paid when I was working. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> so, uh, totally. you know, it was, it's, it, it, the, the job doesn't pay extremely well, but it, boy, is it ever rewarding. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 so were you in your work where you were like, I know you're now involved in the middle grand chapter mm-hmm. and focusing on the middle ground, which we'll definitely talk about. Was that where your work took you as well, like originally or where? Well, it hopped around. I mean, I, I spent much of my career working on the grand. Um, okay. I was involved in, um, you know, the Grand River Fisheries Management Plan. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, even when I was with the Lake Erie unit, cause I worked, I was the senior manager for the Lake Erie unit for, uh, assessment unit for a while or management unit. But uh, I spent, I would say, the bulk of my career on the Grand. Some of the things I'm most proud of are related to the Grand. I was involved in, well, I, I basically was the MNR biologist who started the tailwater fishery in the uh, oh, amazing. in uh, the Ferguson-Lore area. Wow. And uh, I, I remember when it happened, it was 1988-89, and um, I was getting a lot of pushback at the time. Um uh, Warren Yerkes, who's the, uh, a good friend of mine and, and a uh, biologist with the Grand River Conservation Authority, when I first started working in this area, he, he started showing me the temperature data and he said, look at this, Larry, this is, you know, this is good. And uh, yeah. we, you know, the, the Grand River Conservation Authority was stocking uh, rainbow trout there for a number of years and they were like 10, 12 inch rainbow trout that would disappear by, you know, mid-June, they would be gone. Yeah, And uh, we the two of us looked at each other and said, uh, you know, we can do, we can do better than that. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, there were a few other people involved. I'm not going to take total credit, but, um, you know, there was Jack Imhoff was involved. Uh, a fellow by the name of Walt Crawford was involved. And, um, you know, we, but I was kind of the point man for MNR because it was an MNR stocking program. And I remember going to my regional biologist and he kind of looked at me and shook his head and said, well, why do you want to do that? And, yeah. uh, and well, why not? Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> so uh, we got it started, and uh, I think the first stocking was 1989 of the Browns, and then uh, shortly after that, working with Walt Crawford and and uh, others, we uh, got the catch and release uh, regulations in. All a couple years after that, Amazing. wow, that's awesome! So, oh, wow. so we have you to thank for the yeah. Grand River. Well, no, you get a number of people to thank yeah. you I was, and I was you alone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, 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 part of, <laughs> certainly part of a big. Big yeah. movement, yeah, and, yeah. It's, and that's the thing about the grand. It's it's all been interactions of of, of positive uh, interactions with people. Uh, you know, with the fisheries management plan, the same thing. With uh, starting the steelhead fishery, when we removed the uh, dam on uh, Lorne, the Lorne Dam in Brantford in 1989, it was myself and Warren and a few others who really pushed the city of Brantford into like, why do you need this dam? It's not yeah. doing anything. Yeah, and of course, back then, dam removal was. The movement hadn't really started like it has now, and in my opinion, in Ontario, it needs to get started even more. But uh, <laughs> yeah. but uh, at that time, um, people were very attached to dams, and and uh, you know I can remember the public meetings at the time, and everybody said, "Oh, it's going to be a big mud flat above there, and it's going to be ugly, and it's going to be terrible." And mm-hmm. you know, we we got the dam removed, um, and uh, good things happened. I mean, the river really it, came back. It right? came to life. Yeah, yeah. right. And, and that's. That's why the steelhead were able to get up there because, um, uh, you know, that was blocking the run mainly. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, okay, with the Grand River then, maybe it'd be cool just to chat a little bit about some of the issues facing the Grand because 
there are still some issues obviously facing the grand and the fisheries, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, dams you touched on. Yeah, the, the uh, kind of a good news, bad news thing. First of all, when you really look back in my career, when I first started on the grand and, and um, I can recall in the 70s, uh, water quality was not as good as it is now. Um, you know, I remember when I, there was a big fish kill in Guelph on the Speed River and uh uh, Pete Mason, the biologist at the time, he called me out and and uh, we saw a lot of dead bass and pike and, and mm. he was really excited. He was actually thrilled. And I went, <laughs> Pete, like, there's a whole bunch of dead fish here. Why are you so happy? Yeah. And he said, well, yeah, Larry, 10 years ago, we wouldn't have seen even seen these bass and pike. They would have been just carp. Oh, and right. so oh. he was pumped that the water quality was good enough to, to support uh, mm. sport fish at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, so in the 60s and 70s, the water quality was really bad. And uh, a lot of the sport fish we're seeing on the Grand weren't even around. Like uh, the bass fishing wasn't that good. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, through, um, you know, mostly upgrades of sewage treatment plants, that's mm-hmm. really helped. And, uh, you know, we've got a pretty good water quality now. But the threats, getting back to your question, the threats are, you know, again, um, growth human humans i mean this is a really rapidly growing area and um, it's urbanizing Mm -hmm. and uh, agriculture is changing some ways for the good some ways for the bad um you know uh, so agriculture is more intensive so there's the potential for for more nutrients to get into the and sediment to get into the system Mm -hmm. not that um there aren't you know farmers are great stewards of the of the land and we've really seen some improvements due to great farming practices but we got to be careful. There's there's a lot of uh, threats, and it's mainly yeah. people. You yeah. Know? Uh, in terms of harvest and uh, and fishing pressure, um, you know that can be managed, and uh, we have uh, some pretty good uh, management uh, in the Grand that happened about 20 years ago, and it's I think it's really helping to maintain the fishery. So how did so if the the water quality was bad in the 60s and 70s, what was it that improved it? Like how did it flip? Well, ma- mainly like there was the Clean Water Act in the states, but there was it was an international agreement in, in the seventies that talked about you know uh, reducing phosphorus in the Great Lakes. Right. And so, as a result of that, a lot of the sewage plants got upgraded. So, okay. a lot of the sewage treatment plants from the cities, the water quality just improved, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it's still continuing to improve. And, and uh, but it's got a little ways to go yet. I mean, uh, a a, a, fr- a good friend of mine who's a, a prophet. Uh, uh, University of Waterloo, Mark Servos, is, uh, was doing a study on um, uh, rainbow darters. And he was finding that uh, rainbow darter reproduction was going down because the males were turning into females because of all of the um, uh, chemicals that Jeez. the sewage treatment plants could not remove at the time. Well, that's crazy. <laughs> and uh, so uh, he was really seeing these uh, uh, feminization, as he called it, of these little male darters. And these darters are only like four inches long. Yeah. And um, recently, more recently, in the last five years or so, there have been some upgrades in these sewage treatment plants, and that is reversing. So we're seeing some improvements there. Okay. But again, we got to be keep, we got to keep on guard here. Yeah. So what is that? Yeah. Is that do we, is that going to happen with the other sort of species of fish? We have the rainbow darters changing. Yeah. Feminizing is that like a threat for other? Yeah, you look at these fish as indicators, and, and I always say trout is a great indicator because it needs cold, clean water. So it's kind of the miner's canary if you look at certain species. 
the rainbow darters are a great indicator because they're they're very um, sedentary. They don't move around. They they spend their whole lives within you know 100 meters of a stream. So if you've got them below us uh, outfall of a sewage treatment plant, that's what you got. They're mm. staying there. So they're great indicator species. But uh, you know we're seeing uh, in the grand like the walleye fishery is really improving now, and um, we don't know what's going on but we've had some great year classes of walleye in the lower grand and hmm. it could be due to some of these upgrades in sewage treatment plants we don't know there's the data aren't there to, to right. prove it but uh you know these things happen in subtle ways yeah. and uh and we're really not um you know uh, thanks to people like mark who are on top of this and are researching it but we we could use a lot more research to kind of look at what's going on yeah is uh <clears throat> would you say research is something that uh trout unlimited would take on is that something they can take on have the capacity to or not not hardcore research no right. um i think uh our our chapter and and most trout unlimited chapters uh we collect information to to see to monitor the success of our projects mm -hmm. so uh we're doing it at a, at a at a much more different level we're not uh, doing you know pure research or, or collecting anything that could be uh, published in a scientific journal but you know I, I mean what we do is uh, we'll go out and measure the width of a stream and the depth and some of the the basic uh, channel morphology and uh, when we will do it before and after and we find out well before it was um, you know t uh, three meters wide and uh, uh, 10 centimeters deep and sand and and uh, no cover we came back and we did the work and now it's uh, much deeper. It's much narrower and there's gravel bottom instead of sand. Mm -hmm. um, that tells us we're doing something good. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's just all a process, right? You said the threats are people. So it's just, is it a case by case kind of thing? Like fixing the, the problems? It's just kind mm -hmm. of. Well, it can be, but uh, you know, to be effective, you really need to step back and look at the big picture and, and don't treat the symptoms. You look at the problems. Right. And it, like, there's no sense repairing a, a, a an eroding bank mm -hmm. if the problem is is a big problem due to flooding and and massive mm -hmm. land use changes. And unless you fix those bigger problems, you're just putting a bandaid Band on a on a big wound. So you really do need to step back. And and one of the reasons that I'm kind of stepping back, speaking of stepping back, as as president is um, of our chapters. We've got a great executive. They're they're young, they're keen, and uh, very knowledgeable. And uh, it's time for someone else to be president. And I can maybe step back and and look at some of the strategic planning, and whether you want to, you know, I'm still going to stay on. Maybe a planning director or a science director or something like that too look at the big picture and, and um, come up with these this list of best bets projects that would be most effective in the landscape. So you're stepping back from being, pre how long have you been president of the five, chapter? Five years. Okay. So uh, the chapter got reconstituted in 2014. Um, there was, it, it was after a bit of a hiatus. Uh, the, the chapter had been started uh, some years before that, but then as, as things happen with volunteers, it kind of, fizzled a little bit and and uh we started again in 2014 so it's been five years okay awesome what is the bulk of the work that uh middle grand focuses on mm -hmm. like what areas does that constitute for yeah the middle grand and we define it as kind of the 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 reach of the grand river between let's say cambridge and brantford and uh gotcha. and uh, that includes the nith river and uh mm -hmm. the that is um really uh, uh we 
it's we call it the kind of the renewal zone of the Grand River because you've got above that you've got all of these uh, sewage treatment plants and population and people mm-hmm. and uh, you know and then you've got below Cambridge you've got this massive amount of groundwater that comes into the uh, oh, system really okay. and it really refreshes and rejuvenates the river we've mm-hmm. got uh, you know nice cold clean water coming in yeah. and it um, it tends to uh, restore the river so. Um, that's why that section of the Grand is so cool because it, uh, you know, you know that middle Grand right between Brantford and Paris, uh, mm-hmm. it's a warm water river. It's a bass river, walleye, pike, but uh, it also can uh, support trout. And uh, because of that groundwater, some of those pools stratify and you've got cold water in the bottom and, and mm-hmm. there are trout living in the Grand all year round down there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we... Uh, if you know what you're doing, you can go fish it in May and June. There's great hatches. There's Hendrickson hatches, sulfurs, mm-hmm. and that uh, Isonychia. And uh, you can do very well with, with uh, resident rainbow trout that really, it's kind of reminiscent of the Delaware River tailwater. And, right. Uh, it's very technical. Um, Sounds like it, yeah. yeah. It's, Layers. Uh, it's not easy. Uh, you know, I, I've given presentations at different clubs and and you know, people go down there and, and they say, I don't know what you're talking about. There's, there's no trout here or, or, you know, you really got to study it. It's yeah. it, uh, you got to be there for the hatches. You gotta, you gotta know what you're doing. And then even if you see a rising trout, boy, they're educated yeah. and, uh, they just won't. Smart take, fish. Yeah. They won't take a size 12 Royal coachman, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. thrown at them. Uh, they, they'll, they, you know, they'll look at it. Is that an emerger? Is that, what is it? You know, they, they really have their PhD in entomology. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. I mean, technical river, that's a good way to put it. Eh? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that stretch of, I remember the first time I fished that stretch was definitely for bass. It's still one of my favorite stretches on the ground for bass. Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, it's fun going to like, uh, Paris is fun too. Paris is fun. Yeah. Like that, that whole region, but yeah, to the be kind of fun to start trying to target that for for rainbows. Yeah. 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 I mean, a fish white men's for sure, but yeah. Yeah. And I, I get people sometimes they, they kind of say, well, why are you sharing this information? And, and, um, you know, uh, you guys may get some flack for, you know, this thing going out and saying, well, no, why, why, why are you letting all these people know about this? I, I always say as a biologist and a stewardship coordinator, I've always said, you know, we need a rivers need friends. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And, and that section of rivers catch and release anyway. Mm-hmm. It's uh, artificials only, catch and release. It's not fly fishing only, it's artificials only. And, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, yeah, there is some illegal harvest going on a little bit, I'm sure. But uh, mm-hmm. generally, it's, um, you know, the, the, the numbers are really showing that uh, we're seeing more trout in that section. And it's because of the regulations, I think. Yeah, totally. When yeah. did those regs go in for that stretch? That was 2001, and that was another project I was involved in. I did not lead that one because I was, at the time, I was with the Lake Erie unit, but uh, uh, I certainly, you know, was involved in that through the fish fisheries management plan, yeah. And are those naturalized rainbows, or is there a stocking program? No, there's no stocking like, yeah. of trout uh, in that section of the Grand, and so those are all naturalized um, uh, rainbow trout. They're not native, of course. They're, mm-hmm. they're, they're naturalized, and they've been there for decades they were probably there before we removed the Lorne dam and that's probably why the grand got colonized by steelhead so quickly because there was already a seed source mm-hmm. and this is this is a theory i don't have data to prove this right but, uh, uh, there 
there probably were, I know when I was a kid in the seventies, I was catching rainbow trout in Whiteman's Creek. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I'm sure that, uh, some of those fish are the seed source and the genetic source for the, the rainbow trout we've got there now, which are a great rainbow trout because you've got early run steelhead, you've got resident rainbows and the two will intermingle. I think, uh, you know, if you go walk the creeks in the spring, you'll see these residents spawning with the steelhead which yeah. is uh, what they do in the West Coast, too. It's pretty cool. That's pretty rad. That is cool. How did Steelhead come into your life? <laughs> well, <laughs> it wasn't fly fishing at first. And, um, you know, I, uh, my uh, grandfather introduced me to fishing, mm-hmm. and um, it was, you know, again, mostly fishing with gear mm-hmm. and bait in small streams. And um, that's what I did for a number of years. And then... Um, my 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 mother talked my dad into taking the kid out fishing because he was more of a hunter than a fisherman. Yeah, and uh, he started getting into fishing, and and uh, he gravitated towards steelhead because as a hunter, he he basically liked it, liked to hunt steelhead. Yeah, and uh, so we would go to Big Creek and Young Creek, some of the local creeks down there, and fish uh, spawn bags, of course. Yeah, and uh, and catch steelhead and. Uh, it's really interesting because I, even though as my teenage years, I really got into fly fishing for trout, I didn't really get into uh, hardcore fly fishing for steelhead until, oh, probably the, you know, early 1990s. Um, I, you know, up until then through the 70s and 80s, I was a, a float fisherman. I, you know, I had a center pin yeah. like everybody else and yeah. went to the Maitland, the Saugine, the, you know, well, yeah. all of those and uh, got pretty good at it. And, uh, you know, uh, I can remember in the 1980s, you could go to the Big Head River and, you know, you would, you would have 50 fish days. Jeez. You know? um, and uh, it was hard to fly fish for steelhead when you were catching that yeah. many uh, uh, <laughs> totally. on, on gear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it was an evolution. Like after a while, you kind of go, you know what? I can't remember the 24th steelhead I caught. Yeah. You know, and... Yeah. It was like, okay, that's, that's it. Um, I, I finally figured out you, I would take the fly rod along and, and it was kind of, I would never use it, yeah. you know, and the, and the fishing got good. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go back to the car and get the, the, the fly rod. Just keep going. I just keep going. I right? <laughs> yeah. got greedy. Right. And finally, <laughs> after a while, it's just like, what am I doing? Yeah. And, um, I would only bring the fly rod out if the fishing was bad, which is, you know, a sure recipe for failure. You're not going to catch, no. if you can't catch them on a center pin, yeah. you know, it's tough to get them swinging. <laughs> it really yes, is. For sure. So eventually I, I learned that, okay, I would go out and it was a really good day. And I, I landed three steelhead in the first half hour. And I said, you know what? I'm going back up to the car and get the, the fly rod because, and that's when I started really believing in myself. It's all about confidence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And sure. uh, after I started catching a few on the fly rod, I thought, no. Oh, this is more fun anyway. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and you know, a good day with swinging, uh, with a fly rod, a good day is three or four fish, oh, yeah. but you can remember every fish. Oh, you yeah. can remember every detail. It's more special. I, I couldn't do that when I was center pinning and I landed 20 fish. I couldn't remember, no. you know, number 23, number 24. No, I couldn't remember it. And it wasn't, you know, and as you get to be my age, memories and experiences become so much more important. So, yeah. right. uh, that's kind of what happened. Your good days are so different than my good days. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean, uh, to be real, to be real here, I mean, yeah. a good day for me swinging 
flies for steelhead is is a fish. Yeah, mm-hmm. is, right. is, yeah. is is totally. is a fish. It still is. Yeah, and um, you know, and and actually, sometimes it's a good day is no fish. Yeah. So uh, yeah, yeah. So it, it, swinging's always fun, like especially in, like in the fall, you're outside. It's just there's something about swinging flies in the fall. It's just fun no matter what. It, it really is, and yeah. it, you get into this zen state, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah. you know, you cast step, cast step, and uh, my my two older boys um, got into uh, swinging flies for steel pretty late it's only been a couple of years now and uh uh they really got into it uh because uh they're both paramedics and um uh, it's a stressful job mm-hmm. and uh you know they they are always looking for stress relief mm-hmm. and the the meditative state you get into when you're swinging a fly is, yeah. is something that uh they really value and uh and you know we all enjoy yeah 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 absolutely Oh yeah, no, I think it's a great way to put it, you know, like just like making it more special. It's more special on a fly rod because like you remember the fish and yeah, mm-hmm. it's just so much more. Yeah, makes in, a lot of sense. In my career, I mean, uh, even as a biologist, I've handled a lot of fish. I mean, I, you know, I've sampled them. I, I mean, how many more fish do I need to have in my hands? Yeah. You know, I, I don't, yeah. I, I'm, you know, I'm done with that. I just want the experience. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, first time I fished. The Grand was with you, Mitch. Mitch fishes the Grand. Would you say that's your favorite steelhead water around here? Yeah, totally. I mean, it's yeah. it's pretty accessible from Toronto, you know. Yeah. Um, and I've fished it with my uncle, who knows it really well. So it's just that piece of water I've gotten to know, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. but it's yeah, it's just a nice, it's good swinging water, you know. It, it is good swinging water, and also it's got a lot of room. It's mm-hmm. good uh, early in the season, like a lot of our rivers, like the Maitland. Mm-hmm. And the Maitland is a wonderful river. I mean, mm. it's, it's so picturesque. It's it's beautiful. <laughs> That was, uh, that was the almost first steelhead was yeah. on the Maitland. Oh, yeah. yeah. It, it, on the swing. Nothing <laughs> better. I mean, it it is one of the prettiest rivers yeah. in the Great yeah. Lakes. And so uh, I love swinging for, for steelhead on the Maitland, but the trouble with the Maitland is it doesn't have the water very often early in the fall, like late September, uh, October. Usually October they start to come in because you get some, some water, but you've got to wait for that water to come. Yeah. And by then the water is really cold. And so the fish aren't um, as aggressive. Uh, and, and I find with the Grand, because they come so early, and they have to come early because of the Caledonia Dam. Yeah. And uh, I can talk about that in a second. But uh, they come so early, and so they're there at optimal temperatures, and they're aggressive, and they're grabby. So you don't need the dredge. You don't need to put a big no. tip on. Mm-hmm. They'll hit a dry line. You, they'll hit a dry line, and and in fact, uh, they'll hit a dry fly. And yeah. uh, I've I've caught a number of steelhead on a dry fly. Very often, in you know early mid September, I'll practice for my BC trip because mm-hmm. uh, I like fishing dry line in BC. So I'll go to the Grand and I'll, I'll put on a you know a, a dry fly or a, a water waker or something, mm-hmm. and I'll. I'll I'll, I'll wake that fly and lo and behold, I'll, I'll get a steelhead. That's pretty cool. And, yeah. um, That'd be so awesome. So, uh, you know, in fact, sometimes I, some yeah. years my luck is better on the Grand than it is out West Yeah. Uh, for the surface uh, yeah. surface takes. I don't know why that is, but. So you're saying when they come in the river uh, early on, they're, they're aggressive, they're hungry, and they're just, they're just yeah. in, I guess they're in like go yeah. up the river mode, yeah. right? Well, they're not hungry. Uh, they don't, they don't, I don't think food is their motivation, but okay. they're, they're just aggressive. Like the temperatures are just right for them. So they're, right. you know, they're ready to go and, and, uh, they come up there and they're very trouty because, uh, they're wild steelhead. They're not hatchery fish. So they're not used to, um, eating trout pellets or yeah. anything like that. So they're, 
they're used to chasing caddisflies and stoneflies and yeah. looking for mayflies. So they're looking in that water column and they're looking up. Right. And so if, if something is swinging, you know, uh, uh, six inches below the surface uh, and it's, it's like a traditional wet fly, they're going to probably come over and take a look. So they're like acting like a trout when they come back in. Yeah, they're they're and they'll move some distance for that fly. Yeah, and uh, you know you don't have to put it right in front of them. When the water gets colder, they they get less aggressive, mm-hmm. and you got to put a tip on and you got to swing it right in front of them. Right, and mm-hmm. uh, you know very often your line just stops because yeah. they just kind of open their mouth and grab yeah. it. Whereas these early fall takes, I mean, it's usually they're just ripping off your your fl- your line is uh, yeah. your reel is just screaming, and their fins are almost see-through. Yeah. Yeah. So there is a difference. It, it really makes a difference the when. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So when, when is your favorite time then to fall steal it? Is it that period, that yeah. early, early period? September, October. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I, <laughs> I really enjoy, you know, it's, it's great weather. It's comfortable. Oh, yeah. And uh, it used to be that there weren't that many anglers out, but I think people have figured it out now. And, yeah. and so you get a lot of people in the early fall um, it used to be on the Grand when the regulation first opened in 2001 that you could fish up above um, Brantford. Uh, there weren't too many people fishing it. So it was great because you could experiment. What I would do was I would go to one of the more popular pools. And, uh, well, it wasn't popular at that time. And I would fish through once with a dry fly. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I would fish it with a dry line. And then I would put on a, a tip and I would fish it a third time yeah. dredging. And yeah, most of the time they would get, uh, most of my takes would be subsurface, but uh, enough of them would happen at, on top that it was worth my while to do that. But now I go down there in, in, you know, early October and, you know, if I've got the pool to myself, it's like, I just better put a tip on and fish it just because fish someone's going to be here in about 10 minutes. I know. And, and so I, I kind of miss those days where yeah. I could kind of casually fish yeah. the river. Relax. I know it's tough, eh? Because like, you know, we talk about... Well, first of all, we're podcast. We tell people there's fish in the rivers. It's good, blah, 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 like we were talking about earlier. Enjoy it. Yeah, enjoy it. And we're, you know, more people on the river, more people want to take care of it. But then there is that other thing where there's so many people that it's like you can't fish the same way, like, you know, yeah, that you used to. It's kind of like, I don't know, what's the... Well, I think the onus is on us too as anglers. I mean, if I really want to, I can find, you can still find solitude. Mm Mm-hmm. You have to walk, you got to, or look around or, or get a, uh, look at Google maps or Google earth and find some spots that are hard to get to. And I still do that. And I, you know, mm-hmm. they're not the most, uh, probably there's not as many fish there because everybody knows where the staging areas are. I mean, there's a few pools that there's always fish there, but you can go to these other spots and there may not, may or may not be a fish there, but at least you'll be alone and you'll, you know, again, what, what are you there for? Yeah. I'm there to have just relax exactly and meditate and yeah. yeah yeah for sure yeah i mean you can always go and try to find a fish after if you really want right yeah and i i've done that i mean you can you can high grade pools you can go if you know the river well enough you can go you know into the bucket of the pool and fish that and then run to the next pool and fish the bucket and right mm-hmm. and your your hooking percentage will go way up but that's a lot of work and it's not as contemplative as the way i like to fish from your experience, more anglers on the river, good, bad? Is that a good thing or a bad? Like, what are these anglers, what is it, what are they well, like? It's it, it's good and bad. I mean, uh, first of all, I would say if you're talking about the Grand in mm-hmm. the section uh, I'm 
familiar with, which is between Paris and Brantford, it's busy. I would say on the whole, most of the anglers are fairly well-behaved and, um, and courteous with each other. I mean, yeah, you get low hold and by low hold, I mean people stepping in below you if you're swinging a fly. Right. Um, and you can share, you, you, you do have to share the water with other, uh, anglers who maybe center pinners and that kind of thing. But I find generally in that area, everybody is, is pretty courteous and, and considerate of, of others. And, uh, yeah, everybody's got a bad story, but it's, it's not too bad. Mm -hmm. And if it's, you know, and, and pool rotation is working fairly well in that area. I mean, that pool rotation is where you, you know, step into the top of the pool and you work your way down and mm -hmm. the next person comes along and steps in above you and rotates through the pool. And that area is, it's kind of got a reputation for people rotating through pools in a fairly good manner. So it's not too bad. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you go to other rivers and that doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and then there are other rivers and other spots that, you know, there are conflicts between, you know, let's say center pinners and, and fly fishers, but you got to be, understand where you are. I mean, I, I can go below Denny's Dam. Yeah. And I've, we've actually got a cottage up there and I, I used to fish that area in the eighties a lot. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I don't fish there much anymore because it's really doesn't suit my fishing style, mm -hmm. but I'm not complaining and I'm not going to go in there and complain about somebody low holing me because that's just the way it is. I yeah. mean, you know, De yeah. Denny's dam is Denny's dam and, yeah. uh, that's just the way it is. So don't expect to go in there and then complain mm -hmm. right. about getting low hold because, that's their water. I mean, um, and I did it for decades, yeah. so I, I I can relate. It's, yeah. You just know where to go. You know? Yeah, there's something to be said about like, yeah, expectations and the culture. Like, I think if there is that culture of rotation, like other people in the river, like it's not really a big deal. Like when I was in the gas base swinging for salmon, that culture is ingrained, right? Yes. And it's actually kind of fun. You, you swing through the pool with people and then... <laughs> More often than not, nobody's caught anything, right? Even though yeah. you you see, can see the fish, you know? And then you all kind of like just stop and chill. And, and obviously yeah. the water's cold. So taking a break isn't the worst thing in the world. And you're all chatting, maybe having a coffee or whatever. Like there's a bit of a camaraderie on the riverbank. So there's something to be said about like, if there's anglers, but the culture's there, like, I don't think yeah, it's totally. a big, big deal. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it, that... It can be part of the fun or experience, yeah. Like I was recently in the Marguerite in Nova Scotia oh, nice. in the Gasp in the um, Cape Breton, and uh, what a wonderful river! And you know, most of the pools have benches, right? And, exactly, and, and people yeah. will sit down. And the people there are so friendly and so generous with with their knowledge and their time, and they're pulling out their fly boxes and handing you flies, and and it's Man. it's just so, it's it's fun and it's it's mm -hmm. uh, it's makes the trip memorable, and um, you know so. That kind of civilized fishing, if you will, is is a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. I've often thought our chapter, you know, wondering whether we should put some benches in on the mm -hmm. on some of the popular pools of the Grand, but the you know, the spring floods may just wipe oh, them right, right out. So, <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, that that would be tough to do, but it, um, you know, it, it, it's something to think about. Yeah, I was on the Petit Cascopedia, and there's benches, and like you eat a little sandwich on the bench, and yeah, the, yeah it's, it's great. Awesome. It's yeah. it's great. Like. Uh, maybe same thing. Steelhead is there's not that many secret flies or whatever. It's no. like you're not, you know what I mean? Like yeah, they might take a temple dog. They might not take it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not like it, they're I don't know. Totally it's steelhead. You know? Yeah. <laughs> they what might I take a woolly bugger. 
What I try to do, and again, you can be social and find out what everybody else is fishing and just try to fish something completely different, different <laughs> yeah, than everybody yeah. else is. That's a good way to look at know? it. Because yeah. then if you're fishing behind someone else, you can, you know, and let's say four people in a row, especially for steelhead, black and purple, right? So they've got these black and purple, um, you know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, intruder type flies, then maybe put on a small uh, Lady Caroline or something size, you know, yeah. size, uh, eight or 10 or, you know, something yeah. small and see what happens. You know? Yeah. You never know, right? Just be different. And yeah. Especially if you're going through the pool third or. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've definitely landed steelhead for people and that's a fun moment too. Oh yeah. Know? Oh like, yeah. Like, wait, wait. You've like. Like people I don't know. People you don't know. Yeah. You know, and like, that's a fun moment too. Yeah. It's like, you, you ask them if they want help because not everybody you know, yeah. always yeah. wants it. But if I'll, I'll always take it personally. Yeah. <laughs> like why, why not? Sure. You know? yeah. Like I want to yeah. see this fish. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, it can right. It can be good and bad, but I yeah. think if you build that culture, it could be actually something that enhances the experience. For mm-hmm. you. Yeah, my experience with steelhead has been pretty good. There's only one time where I felt like a centipede went right in front of me. It was like literally two feet in front of me. But <laughs> then again, like yeah. I don't go there anymore. It's not yeah. one of my favorite spots, and I'm not going to go there to complain. I think it's a great mindset. Yeah, yeah. I think we need to stick together as anglers. I mean, yeah. you know, there's that the center pin tribe and the yeah. swing and fly tribe, and and we all, you know, we have a lot in common. Oh yeah, yeah. totally. And uh, I I know for my career, um, you know, I've worked a lot with uh, kind of the steelheader groups, which are tend to be center pinners or gear fishermen. And I'll tell you, um, over the years, I can't think of a more dedicated group of conservationists. I mean, when we were working on Young Creek in the 1980s, it was the Brantford Steelheaders, and I just need to pick up the phone and call. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how many guys do you need? We're, we're in, you yeah. know, we're in. And, um, you know, I don't. That's awesome. I, 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 so I, I don't uh, try to differentiate between gear and mm-hmm. center pin and, and fly. We all want the same thing. And Totally. And in our chapter, we've got, you know, we've got fly fishers, we've got center pinners, we've got non-anglers, yep. you know? Oh, and, really? And, oh, yeah. Just people yeah. that care about the... They just care about obviously. the resource yeah. and, and, uh, and you know, they, they get it. They, they know that uh, healthy fish populations just mean a healthy ecosystem. Yeah. So, yeah. Can we go back to that point about the Caledonia Dam that you said we were going to... We were starting oh, talking yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. what about the Caledonia Well, the Caledonia Dam is, is, is kind of a... It's the probably the reason that the steelhead run so early in the Grand because it's a fairly high dam. If you've ever seen it, it's it's about I don't know close to three meters high, two and a half meters, mm-hmm. and it's a forty five degree angle, um, kind of the apron, and so uh, it's got two fish ladders or two fishways on it, but the fishways never really worked very well, mm. and so in order to this for the steelhead to get up over Caledonia Dam, they have to jump either jump it clear it which is a huge task or they jump onto it and they swim over the dam and it's it's amazing it it, it to see them do that is yeah. just so amazing and you know these things will jump four feet up into the dam or halfway up the dam and then they will churn their way up for the rest of the way and it's just like pure power yeah Jeez. and so you've got genetic selection going on right there you've got basically it's like the strongest survive if you can't get over that dam then you are not allowed to, to spread your gene to the next generation. Mm-hmm. So when you think about it, you've got um, generation after generation of strong, yeah. big steelhead, and they've got to run early because um, steelhead and all fish are cold-blooded. They, right. they have to run 
in um, when the temperatures are suitable. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a metabolic window where they can't get over that dam, and that metabolic window probably below about seven degrees, six seven degrees Celsius. They can't get over the dam. They can't get that their metabolism won't let them do it. Mm-hmm. Well, when does it get that cold? Somewhere in early November, mm-hmm. and so. Um, you know, just when the runs in the Maitland are just starting to go, mm-hmm. the door is closing on the Grand. So, uh, it's crazy, eh? Yeah. So those fish, they, I'm not going to say they know it because that's kind of anthropomorphizing, but yeah. they basically say, you, if you want to uh, lay your eggs, you've got to get over that dam and you've got to do it now. Mm-hmm. Right. And so those things are just turbocharged and you basically, as soon as the water levels drop, um, water temperatures drop in the fall those fish are thinking okay i gotta get over that dam yeah and there they go they're 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 moving up Mm. that's cool super steelhead Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) and it's it's amazing you know we're calling them steelhead and and anybody from the west coast will be saying what they're not steelhead Mm -hmm. you know they're they don't go to the ocean they're not salt water but they come they're genetically from steelhead stock when they were you know when when steelhead were transported here a hundred years ago. It's from that material, genetic material. So they're, they're steelhead by, by genetics. Mm. And, um, and you know, a hundred years or 50 years or even 20 years of that kind of selective evolution will do something to a fish. Mm-hmm. And we're already seeing it in the Great Lakes. If you look at it, uh, and I have friends who are geneticists who have looked at different populations in Ontario, whether it's, you know, the Maitland the Nottawa saga has been pretty well studied and the grand um, that's just, they're different genetically. They're very different genetically because they have to be because every face, river is different. Right. They face different yeah. pressures mm-hmm. and yeah. Yeah. temperature swings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But again, I want to stress they're not native. They're, they're naturalized. I mean, we only have one stream um, trout and it's not even a trout. It's a char, but the, the brook trout is our only native mm-hmm. trout mm-hmm. In, in Ontario. I mean, there are lake trout, which are, little farther north than southern Ontario, but yeah. Yeah, naturalized. Yeah, I mean, people always, yeah, I always talk about that, like steelhead, West Coast versus Great Lakes. I mean, like you said, gen- genetically they are, but they're also different. I mean, yeah, Great Lakes steelhead are different. Like you say, they face different things. It's yeah. a different, but that doesn't mean it's worse. It just means it's different. Yeah, and I, and it, after a while, I, you know, I really enjoy steelheading in the Great Lakes and I, I respect it and I love it and they're very unique. But in a way, it's kind of an illusion in that it's it's an artificial situation because man brought them here. So I always craved, you know, I want to go fish for steelhead in their native range. Which mm-hmm. you do annually, right? And I, I finally did yeah. about 10 years ago. Yeah. And um, I've been going every every year and I'll, <laughs> I'll keep going until I can't, you know, mm-hmm. I can't step into a, a plane or into a boat because it is so cool. Yeah. And I guess as a biologist to be able to fish for a native fish in its, in its native range yeah. and you've got this creature in its hands and then for, for, you know, thousands of years that fish has evolved mm-hmm. and, and, and has made that journey from the ocean and it could have been in off, off Kamchatka. It could have been anywhere. Yeah. And it came and I've got it in my hands and that's kind of moving when you so, do that. You know, it's, 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 uh, it's where it belongs. Yes. I mean, you've been smiling when you talk about steelhead in Ontario and smiling about, you know, when you mentioned out yeah. west, but it got significant, significantly larger smile when you <laughs> talked about out west. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it is. I'm noticing, yeah, I, I guess I know the, the difference, but like to you, you know, what other than 
I know it's 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 a, a different run. It's a you know different adventures the steelhead is um, taking to get up those rivers than you'd see in a you know freshwater steelhead out here. But you know what are other differences? What makes it so exciting out there? Well, uh, again, I, I guess I'm because I'm a biologist. I'm a bit nerdy about the, the fact that these fish have evolved in right. in that area. So. Uh, you can go uh, across Western North America from, you know, northern BC down to California, all the way down to Baja. And those steelhead have all adapted to slightly different things. And if you go to Southern California, you know, Malibu Creek and some mm-hmm. of those, um, some of those rivers in the on kind of just north of Los Angeles, those steelhead are, are small they really rely on the resident component because some years the steelhead can't even get up the rivers because of droughts. Jeez. And so you've got this genetic, you've got this gene pool of resident fish way up in the, uh, you know, the Sierra mountains that are kind of hanging on mm-hmm. uh, until you know, every three or four years, those steelhead can finally bust through that barrier beach and get up into, into spawn. So that's kind of the one extreme. And then you go up to northern BC where those fish, uh, the water's cold. It's a harsh environment. Um, it takes four, five years to grow uh, what they call a smolt, which is a, a juvenile steelhead that is ready to go to the ocean. Mm-hmm. It takes, you know, four, four or five years in some of those rivers for that to get to the ocean. Mm-hmm. And then they get out there and, uh, and they come back. So completely different life history strategies mm-hmm. But again, it just shows you how plastic steelhead are in terms of their adapt- adaptability. Yeah. yeah. I mean, steelheading in LA, imagine. <laughs> That's such an interesting... Well, like- I, I don't know if you've ever... Uh, it's not LA, but um, uh, there was that uh, movie, Rivers of a Lost Coast, uh, which is uh, talks about steelhead in, in, I guess, Northern California. Right. And it's really worth watching because it's a cautionary tale. It basically, you know, this could happen to you sort of thing. It's, mm. they, they took the fishery for granted. They overharvested right. it. They dammed the rivers. They, you know, they, they took water for irrigation. And, and yeah, those steelhead are, are starting to come back in the last 10 years. But, uh, you know, the heydays, they lost those fish that were there in the 40s and 50s. It was, uh, they just took it for granted. Yeah. And development and everything else as yeah. well. Eh? Yeah. It's sad to see, but I mean, like to your point, yeah, everybody should watch it because it's a cautionary tale, something we can implement on our own rivers, right? Yeah, yeah. And again, that's getting back to um, spreading secrets about rivers. That's yeah. why I, I think you really, these rivers need friends. Mm-hmm. And uh, we need to, we need a lot of people outraged if there's going to be some sort of proposal that affects habitat or water yeah. or that mm-hmm. kind of thing. And if it's only your secret spot. Nobody then, cares about it. Sorry. Yeah. Well, we'll just do it. Yeah. 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 Exactly. I mean, look at Indiana, right? Yeah. 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 Like, yeah, we were on the White River and okay, they, uh, it was that large chemical spill, you know? And if it wasn't for the anglers showing up to the river to go fish it, yeah. seeing all the dead fish. Yeah. They wouldn't have even known. Wouldn't have, no one would have. No one was a fish kill. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So it's, it's the tail everywhere, you know, like yeah, people have to care to make the river and place that they're fishing in, you know, a place that can grow and be, you know. Yeah, exactly. So let's jump in and talk about Mitchie's Fishies 5 time. Oh, boy. Yes, five questions we ask every guest. Um, always the same questions, but really excited to, to get these in front of you. I kind of can speculate what maybe some of your answers might be to these, but I don't know. Let's see. Well, I'm always pleasantly surprised. Mm-hmm. Me too. Um, okay, so let's jump into the first one. Mitchie's Fishies 5, number one. 
What is your favorite fish and why? Well, the obvious answer would be steelhead mm-hmm. uh, because <laughs> I love them so much. But I'm going to throw a curve at you because uh-huh. I I love native steelhead in BC. But uh, as a biologist, I'm really a fan of native fish and uh, indicator fish of cold, clean water. And I'd say mottled sculpin is my oh whoa that's a crazy answer and uh, i don't know if you know these little creatures but they're they look like tadpoles they're about three or four inches long yeah you don't fish for them but they're really strong indicators of cold clean water okay and um good trout food good trout food but they also if there are sculpins in the stream there are probably trout and probably brook trout uh, because they their habitat requirements are very similar to brook trout. They need okay. really clean water and cold water. And uh, a little story I can tell you is mm-hmm. there's a creek not far from where we're standing sitting right now yeah. called Marden Creek. And um, this is a, a project I'm very proud of in my career. Um, we uh, I was working with the Speed Valley chapter of Trout Unlimited Canada, and um, they were looking for a, a stream that we, they could work on, and this... Marden Creek kept coming up as a possible candidate. And at the time, we thought it was a former trout stream. We heard stories from the 1970s where people caught trout there, but they hadn't seen them in decades. So I went in with some people, and we electrofished it, and we found sculpins, and we found sculpins almost everywhere. And I thought, this this is a great sign. There's got to be trout somewhere. Yeah. And sure enough, after a lot of work, we found a a section of stream maybe about half a kilometer long that actually had brook trout. Wow. And um, if it wasn't for the sculpins, I think I wouldn't have persisted as, yeah. as, as much as I did. Mm-hmm. But I said, no, they got to be some be. trout here somewhere. And we found them. And then we started, we went to work, rolled up our sleeves, and we did a lot of habitat work. We removed some ponds. We removed awesome. the dam. And I'm proud to say now we have trout in Marden Creek from source to mouth. No way, the so, whole thing. The whole thing, and wow. that's only been that's in cool. the last 10 years. So Dude. we've basically brought a trout stream that was just basically hanging on by its fingernails or its yeah. fins, yeah. and we brought it back to, uh, you know, something that is viable now. So that's that's, that's amazing. That's, that's amazing why I love story. sculpins. Yeah, that's an yeah. amazing. I mean, well, that's a great, that story's awesome. And that creek runs through town, like through a town or kind of near town? Well, it's, it's near just north of Guelph. So it runs through the Ignatius Jesuit Center. If people know Guelph and uh, that, so it's yeah, it's Brooke it's trout in the too. Area. That's so cool. It's, it's a tiny stream. It's not a stream that you would want to no, sure. fish. But yeah. uh, and I'm bringing this up because if you go to it and you think you're going to catch a limited brook trout, you'll be disappointed. So yeah, 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 yeah. You can jump across it. Yeah, yeah. But it's very cool that you're able to bring it back, and yeah. it's amazing. And they're such a special fish too to have them in a. Oh yeah, the whole thing. I got a great I idea. We're going to send you a T-shirt. We made that T-shirt. Um, Which one? Sculpins. Oh, my God. Oh, Gulpin Sculpins. Gulpin Sculpins. Gulpins Sculpins. I love it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we're going to send that to you. Oh, okay. thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I love it. <laughs> Sculpin. That's cool, man. I love that answer. Okay. Um, number two, if you could fish anywhere in the world right now, where would you go and why? Assuming it's the best time to go and fish that place. Yeah. Um, there are places I want to go. It's kind of bucket list. Like, I'd love to go yeah. to Kamchatka. Yeah. You know. Uh, so cool. Uh, I think where I would go... And again, it would be chasing steelhead, but I think the Olympic Peninsula. Okay, um, yeah. I haven't been there yet. Yeah. Um, and I want to go because they're not doing so well there. I oh, mean, yeah. and, uh, you know, I hate to say I want to go there before they're gone. Yeah. But um, I do want to see those rivers. Uh, yeah. They're pretty intact because they 
float of a, a national forest, the Olympic National Forest. And the other thing I'd really want to see, and I probably, I won't be able to fish it in my lifetime, is the Elwa River, which is, that's the river um, in the Olympic Peninsula where they remove two large dams. It's oh. one of the largest dam removal projects in North America. And really? uh, the Elwa is coming back really well. And, you know, there's steelhead runs coming up and all of that. That's amazing. Uh, You're still not allowed to fish it, and it may be decades or years before you can, but I just want to see it. Just see it, yeah. Uh, Again, that's a biologist in me. I just want to walk along there and and, and look at it. See if you can spot some fish. And just be inspired by it. Yeah. I mean, that sounds amazing. I really like that it's a... that you can't fish it for a while, too. Like, they're actively trying to... Yeah, it's an active restoration program. Yeah. 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 It's amazing. Great answer. Sounds beautiful. Uh, number three is, what is your best fishing memory? Oh. All time. All time. All the years fly fishing. What's the best? Well, I would say it has to be uh, going to BC with my boys, mm-hmm. my two older boys. Um, uh, they are, um, you know, they just they just got into the swinging flies for steelhead game. Yeah. And uh, a couple of years ago, um, they said, Hey dad, we'd like to go out West with you. And I said, you know, I, I love to share my love of the Skeena with you guys. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do it. So they, uh, a friend of mine, Rick Warwood, uh, gave them some casting lessons and, uh, we, the three of us went out there Yeah. and the fishing was okay, but I mean, it was just being there with, with, you know, my family and, uh, yeah, you know, totally. and people I love and, and, uh, and uh, not only that, I got, you know, funny stories. We had some laughs. You go to the yeah. bars and totally. you, you talk fishing, you talk hockey, you talk yeah. whatever. And they get to meet some cool people. Yeah. Um, and I, I just, I still remember my favorite memory of that one trip was my one uh, son, James. He's such a good caster. And uh, he picked it up so quickly. He's a better caster than, spade caster than I. He was just throwing some laser beams out. And I got my phone out because I wanted to take some video footage. And he goes, yeah. Dad, don't do that. I said, as soon as you do that, my casting breaks down. Yeah. <laughs> and he turned around and he, and he said, see, now I'm snagged. Yeah. And uh, oh. I said, I said, you're not snagged. You're fishing just under the surface. Yeah. And yeah. he goes, oh. And he kind of, and big buck steel. Oh, oh, man. That's a great and, story. You, you know, and. Uh, and you were filming. Yeah. That's and, cool. And it was so cool. And uh, that was his first steelhead. Oh, no way. And, uh, was yeah. first one. And uh, it was fun. It was memorable. That is yeah. a great memory. That's a great, yeah. Yeah. I love that. Oh, man. And he, he got it in a special spot in the canyon in the Bulkley River. And oh, uh, it's paradise. Mm-hmm. It, and so to be, to, you know, that's a memory I'll always cherish. Yeah, that's a hell of a memory. That's yeah. one nice that's place wonderful. to catch your first steelhead. Yeah. My God. Um, okay. Number four, why do you fly fish? Oh, boy. Um, why do you fly fish at all? Yeah, it's... It's certainly not to catch fish. <laughs> um, it's uh, it really is just to be uh, because it incorporates so many aspects of what I love: the entomology, the uh, reading water, the, the all the technical aspects. But then you just lose yourself. Like yeah. once you're in again, when I was talking about the casting rhythm, once you lose yourself in that, it's uh, it's really something. So. Um, yeah, fly fishing is special. I don't, I still gear fish yep. uh, for some species, but, uh, fly fishing to me is just something I don't do it for the fish. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great answer. I think it makes yeah. a ton of sense. Number five, the last of the Mitchie's fishies. Five. My favorite so, question. Yeah. 
we're gonna and we're gonna, I keep saying we're gonna make a book one day. We yeah. totally are. We are with yeah. a person that we interviewed and then the fly on the right. Because okay. this number five is what fly pattern represents you. If you were a fly, what would you yeah. be? I you know my initial reaction was a, just a beautiful feather winged classic fly. Uh, you know that you yep. would, traditional fly, but that's not me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, and then you. The other extreme is you can go woolly bugger, but you know what? <laughs> Everybody's a woolly bugger. You know, we're all we've heard some woolly buggers. You know, yeah, uh, I would say um, again, it's it's kind of going to the fact that I I don't fish to catch fish. Is is probably something like a waller waker. Ooh, cool! Um, uh, nice. Uh, uh, it's a waking fly for steelhead. It's a yeah. surface fly, and I actually caught my first steelhead on a waller waker. Really? Yeah. First one. First steelhead on a dry in 1989. Wow, that's crazy. And um, it was below Denny's Dam in no way. August of 1989. And uh, uh, there were back then there were some Skimania steelhead running, and uh, uh, they don't do that anymore. And and yeah. uh, they were rolling at the tail out, and I just I had just finished watching uh, 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 Lonnie Waller's um, 3M video series, and yeah. I got to try this, mm-hmm. and. Um, so I was I was waking just like he does on the on the video, and um, I had something roll at it, and I kind of went, "Oh my god!" And of course, I just pulled it out of its mouth. Yeah, of course, you panic, you, you freak get excited, out. And, yeah. Yeah. and and I and then there was a guy, old fellow there. We called him uh, Scotty. His name was actually Jock, but he was a, a, a Scottish. Yeah. Uh, you know, he, he had a brogue on him, and uh, he as soon as he saw me, what I was doing, he remembered his Atlantic salmon days. He came over, and he said. He said, "No, no, no, no. You're you gotta you gotta wait till you feel the the weight of the right. fish." And so he said, "What you gotta do is you gotta say, I got you now, you bugger,' <laughs> and and then you strike." And yeah. he got beside me, and the fish rose again, and he grabbed my hand and said, "Say it," <laughs> and I did. Yeah. 39 inches long, 38, 39 inches long. Oh man. I landed wow. that fish. That's such a great that's and, first. Uh, <laughs> that's crazy. It was again on the surface. And that's why I, I love those surface steelhead flies. Again, yeah. they're not efficient. I'm not efficient either. I'm not a good caster. I'm not a good, I'm not really a good angler, but I, I, I persist. Yeah. So have you ever seen that guy again? Or was that oh, the first no, he, last he time? passed. And, um, mm. another story about him is, yeah. uh, he was mostly a center pin fisherman and, okay when he died and this was some years ago yeah. um there's a area on the sogging called the flat rock and uh his cronies put his ashes on the flat rock when the water was rising and the river took him away that is so cool yeah that guy sounds like a, a like a like a legend or something well he was at the time this is yeah. you know back in the 70s sure. and 80s yeah that is so cool wow yeah. what a crazy first fish yeah that's awesome <laughs> yeah. that is so cool well, that's Mitchie's, Mitchie's fly. That's a great, I love yeah. that answer. We've never heard uh, a fly like that. So that's really, really cool. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. So how about now we talk a little bit about, um, about Tread Unlimited? Yeah, that, thank you for asking. <laughs> yeah, of course. No, like, we want to uh, know what you guys are up to. And Basically, Tread Unlimited Canada is a nonprofit organization. And uh, there are chapters all over Canada, really. And there are several chapters in Ontario. We are the middle grand chapter. So our area of interest is, you know, that area from Cambridge to Brantford and the Nith River. And um, we basically work with landowners and, and anybody who will work with us to see some habitat improvement on the river to bring, you know, more fish in the river. And uh, we've been at it for, you know, five years. And um, we have work days every, every summer. We do tree planting days. Yeah. We do work days. Yeah. 
We have an annual general meeting in January. We have a Facebook page. Yeah. Uh, just uh, just do a search Middle Grand chapter. It'll probably come up. Yeah. We'll also and post it in the show notes. People can find great. out how to help out. Yeah. That'd be great. And uh, basically, you know, if you're going to become a member of Trade Unlimited Canada, um, you, there's a spot, a box you can tick, like what chapter you want to be affiliated with. If you if you check that box, we get half of the of dues to put in our uh, war chest to do oh, some more work. Yeah. And uh, well, that's but, good to know. But you yeah. don't have to be a member to come to our work days. If you um, you know keep checking our Facebook page or or uh, get a hold of us and you get on our email list and uh, we'll let you know when the work days are coming up and just show up as long as you sign the liability waiver. We're glad to have you. So, uh, yeah. We're checking out. I think it's, yeah, you guys do tons of great work and, you know, it's super important that we restore and protect these rivers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you know when your first work day is? Not yet. We're going to have a tree planting day. Our first work day is usually a tree planting day and Mm -hmm. I, I expect it'll be the first Saturday in May, but we haven't nailed that down yet. Um, you know, because of, uh, uh, regulations, you're not allowed to work in the stream, uh, uh, except for the summertime. So our first work day is usually a tree plant day. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What are the main initiatives this year? Or like, cause we've done some work, we've done, we've, couple, we've done yeah. some work with like the Greg Clark chapter on yeah. the credit. So if they had their bring back the Brookies program or are there any similar type yeah. programs obviously well, we, not with brookies but. we've been working on some small streams in the nith river watershed and and they've been uh, projects where we've we've done some work in the stream channel to you know clear log jams that are blocking sediment uh and that kind of thing and we've been doing that for a while one thing we are looking at doing um and it won't be on the ground this year we're going to continue with that kind of hands-on work um, but one thing what we're going to be doing is starting to do some fundraising for what I would call backhoe level projects. And that is thing, things like removing culverts that are blocking, um, uh, fish migration, yep. uh, removing small dams that are warming up the river. And we've got some landowners lined up that, uh, want to work with us. We just got to raise a little bit of money to do that because we've been a very hands-on group till now. Yep. Uh, we've gained some credibility in the landscape and it's time for us to kind of move move a little forward to get maybe a little more complex projects with some other partners yeah. involved. So we're going to be taking that next step. We're going to take it slowly. We got to raise the money, um, and you know, with fundraising, you got to have a specific project. Uh, yeah. If you want government uh, grant money or or agency grant money, you you've got to specify what project you're doing and kind of work on it that way. And so that's kind of our next step. Yeah. But we're going to continue with those hands-on projects because everybody loves getting out in the river and streams yeah. and rolling rocks. Yeah. It's fun. It's rewarding. It's, it's, and it it's does a, tons of good. It's yeah. a blast, yeah. And yeah. honestly, tree planting's fun too. Like, it's so much like, fun. Did, yeah. I've done some stream-side tree planting with yeah the Greg Clark chapter. Yeah. It's fun. It's like takes up, but you're, you're there in the morning. It's mm-hmm. beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're yeah. outside. You, you get, get a little see, exercise. I, get, I mean, I saw stretches of the, the credit that I, I mean, not, not that you're supposed you can fish them, but I'm like, I've never yeah. seen this part of the river, yeah. which is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's great to to do that. And, and really with tree planting, it's really for the future. And uh, yeah. I know I'm getting old enough that I can remember some of the tree planting projects I was involved in 25 years ago yeah. and going back and seeing that, yeah, they're working, they're shading the stream, yeah. they're, they're cooling the river. And, you know, there's been a number of projects like that on all the rivers. Credit's a good example of that. Yeah. And so um, you get to be my age, you start thinking about what legacy you want to leave. And, um, you know, the tree planting projects I'm doing now, I'm probably not going to see the, the benefits, but that's yeah. okay. Yeah. 
you know. I love so. those before and after pictures. I see yeah. them all the time, and it's like, yeah. this is the section of the river in, you know, the 70s or whatever. This is it now, and it's, like, completely different. Yes. It's, like, so wild, and I'm just like, wow, that really works. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It really does. Yeah, yeah, that section we did last year, like, for the Bring Back the Brookies, is like, it's hilarious how clear, like, the because it was cut for Christmas tree, a Christ, like, Christmas tree planting or yes. whatever, like, a Christmas tree business. Mm. And there's just, just nothing. It's just the river's getting cooked. Yeah. You know, and you're like, wow. I know. It needs <laughs> yeah. work. Yeah. 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 So it's, yeah, it's pretty obvious when yeah. you get to the bank, yeah. the good that it's going to do. Yeah. yeah. So when's the next time you're getting out fishing? Is oh, it uh, come spring or you got a trip planned? Or? Well, spring, I'm, I'm really into turkey hunting. So uh, it really mm-hmm. cuts down on my spring fishing. And so I probably, mm-hmm. uh, hardcore, I probably won't get out until, you know, mid-May, late May. There's a turkey hunt in the spring too, eh? Yeah. Oh, I yeah. didn't know that. That's, yeah. awesome. That's new, right? No, no, no. no? The, the spring turkey hunting is pretty traditional. It's, oh, wow. It's always, and you know, my spring trout fishing That's is cool. really taking a beating because of that. Because I, <laughs> I, um, I don't hunt in the fall anymore because I, I'm, I love steelheading too much. Yeah. But uh, in the spring, uh, it's a real tussle between the trout fishing and, and the turkey, turkey hunting. And the turkey yeah. hunting, yeah. Do you tie flies as well? Yes, I do. Do you use the feathers from the turkey? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> plus, plus the feathers are, I mean, uh, the folks, my friends out in BC love them because they don't have turkeys in oh, northern true, BC. Eh? So I always bring back a shipment of turkey feathers I to like. my friends in BC. Oh, that's so cool, man. I love this stuff we all do. Eh? This outdoor <laughs> it's stuff is so cool. Yeah. I'm like sitting here. I'm like, uh, so cool. I move to the country. I know. I, yeah, re- I, I argue. Country. I like wrestle with that every day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Downtown Toronto, man. I well, love it. It's afforded me some awesome times. But I wonder if we can yeah. ever fix the Dawn or the Humber. Oh, I, I think you could. Yeah. And I think there's, and, and I've read some articles about, you know, some of the movement going on in the Dawn mm-hmm. that, uh, is it the brick, uh, brick brickworks, works. brickworks, yeah. and that kind of thing? So I, I, I really think there's a lot of promise there. Yeah, yeah. the dawn has friends, yeah. and it's wild. Like the, I mean, it's I'll wild. How, it's wild how wild the dawn valley is. Yes. Dawn valley's yeah. crazy. There's mount. There's a, for a good friend of mine. He's a big mount, big into mountain biking trails. Yes. and he's like, do you guys understand how many kilometers of trails there are in downtown Toronto? He's like, that's insane. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so, just by St. Mike's. So. Yeah. <laughs> There's like we had, amazing uh, trails. Remember we had Ray Blades on the show um, and he was talking about how his family, like his grandfather, great-grandfather had cottages in the Dawn Valley. Yeah. And they yeah. would hunt rabbits and stuff. It's I like, still it's think it's wild yeah. that like, yeah, the Humber 10 minutes from my house, they can go yeah. steelheading. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're lucky. We take, yeah. you know, sometimes take it we for take granted. it for granted. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Larry, thank you so much for coming on the show. Well, thank you. And for having us in your amazing house out yeah. in Guelph. And for the beers. And for the beer. We're drinking beers. We're drinking beers. <laughs> Thanks. It's such yeah. a great yeah. time. Yeah, it's such a, such a nice time. So yeah. nice of you to have us down here. Well, mm-hmm. I finished my Forty Creek uh, Copper Pot. Just, uh, now you're onto the beers. I'm onto the, the beers. beers. Nice. Yeah. Um, it'd be sweet to do another show here and then hit the river after. Because we're yeah. like not far from well, the Grand it, right now. Like I say, we're, I'm going to be <laughs> talking with uh, Tyler Dunsmore this afternoon. Or, yeah, this afternoon yeah. On, on the Grand. And... Uh, so there, you don't need to listen to me drone on. I mean, there's guys like if you want to learn know more about the Grand, there's guys like Tyler, there's Larry Mellers, there's lots of guys, awesome, uh, and gals who can talk about the river. Yeah, and uh, so there's lots to talk about. Yeah, and this afternoon we're heading to first cast. Yeah, we're going to the first cast. Uh, Tyler and I are going to tag team a little presentation, and we're going to talk about fishing the Grand, uh, the Middle Grand, but we're also going to do a little shameless plug on the our chapter. Awesome, yeah. as you should. Yeah. Absolutely, I think we'll. Well, I mean, you let us know about those. We'll keep watching your feed because we'll, we'll come to a tree yeah. planting for sure. We'll be uh, there. Excellent. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. It'd be awesome to like try to think of something to 
help fundraise as well. Maybe yeah. there's an event we can do in Toronto to get some fundraising for some of your programs. Well, I, I know um, Rob's uh, shop, Drift yeah. Outfitters, has been very generous with yeah. our chapter and, and oh, donating awesome. uh, donating to our uh, to us. Uh, one of the uh, fly fishing film festivals, uh, the proceeds uh, were were to our chapter. So oh, we, wicked! We really appreciate that, and so uh, Drift Outfitters has been a great uh, ally of our chapter. And we that's thank, wicked. We thank Rob and the gang for yeah. that. Oh, thanks, Rob. Thanks, Rob. Jeez. Big supporters of us too. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and former employer. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, we've been doing some more work with the Patagonia store, so maybe that's something we can, because uh, yeah. they're always saying that. They're always saying, yeah. They're always saying they, they'll even give us product to raffle away, so maybe there's something we can do there. Yeah. That'd be great. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Larry, for coming on. Well, thank you. Uh, it was a fantastic show, and thanks, everybody at home, for listening. Um, that's it for me, Mitch. Yelma? Hey, I'm out. Aldo? Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. And Larry? Bye. <laughs> Cheers. 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 You can find all of SoFly's content at SoFly.ca. On Instagram, we're at the SoFly Crew. You can reach us at thesoflycrew at gmail.com with any questions, comments, or concerns. On Facebook, we're SoFly, and our podcast is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Spotify.